Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new episode of Nightlife with Alyssa Knight. Alyssa and other Nightlife guests will explore the trichotomy of passions in Alyssa's life. Cybersecurity, content creation, and entrepreneurship. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. I am so excited to announce that we have Philip Wiley here on the show as a special guest. He's a veteran penetration tester, educator, founder of the Pwn School Project, co-author of the Pen Tester Blueprint. He's also the part of several nonprofits, including Hacking Is Not a Crime and Innocent Lives Foundation. And Mr. Wiley Hales from Carroll, Texas. Philip, thanks for being here. I'm so glad you're here. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Alyssa. I'm a big, big fan of yours. You're one of my favorite hackers. And the more I learn about you, the more I'm a, a fan of other things too. So thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much. We need to nerd out on AV gear one day. This is, uh, yes. We'll, we'll definitely do it. And I was just on, on uh, Philip's show just recently as well. So I thought it would be awesome to have him here and have my audience uh, get to know him better as well. So Speaking of which, Phil, why don't you just kind of start from the beginning? Where did you like me? I got started with BBSs. Where did you start? Like where, what, tell us about the journey of Philip Wiley. Uh, do you want the scenic route? <laughs> the scenic <laughs> route for sure. Anyone okay. who, who follows my show knows I want the scenic route. And also I do have to say this. I got to ask, is there any, any sort of like, connective tissue between you and Wiley and Sons. Because every time I see your name, my publisher, <laughs> Wiley, it's like, is the first thing that comes to mind. I'm like, I wonder if he's related to, to John Wiley. <laughs> but anyway, no, no affiliation at all. <laughs> no, it's kind of funny because the, fu the funny connection with that is uh, they spell their name different than I do. So it's okay. a, it's a common right. misspelling of my name. So a lot That's of people a good point. misspell I, my I name. I would see, and I think in my show notes, I even spelt it like John Wiley spells it. So, um, but okay. Well, yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So now, all right, since there is no affiliation, I've just lopped off like half my show. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. Go, go ahead. Tell your story, man. Tell your story. Yeah, so long ago in the galaxy far, far away, uh, when I graduated high school back in, uh, go ahead and date myself, back in 1984, computers were just getting into the school. I had no clue about computers. My brother had one of the little Timex computers you hook up to your your TV, and oh, wow. neither one of us knew, knew what to do with it or whatever, but uh, we had computers in school. They had some Macs, just got Macs into the art studios and they had some IBM uh, PCs, but only the smart kids used them. And so uh, so that was something I had no experience with. So when I graduated high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I'd started uh, lifting weights like in 1980. And then oh, wow. my, my senior high school actually started competing in powerlifting. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. This is an interesting journey. Yeah, you know, I do have to ask you, did uh -huh. you say PC lab or Mac lab? Because at the time it was always like Mac labs. It was rare. Like a school had a PC lab. So they had was, both. Okay. It was, okay. It was, it was PC lab to start out with. And then they got some Macs for the art, the art department there for the art classes. Okay. Like little Mac twos or like what year was this? Yeah, it must, it was 84. Oh, okay. 
So it must have been the little, like little Oregon ones that are almost, Trail on the back too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, got yeah. it. So, uh, so yeah, I was a powerlifter, and actually, I've got I've actually won. A, I'm a one-time uh, world champion. I won the drug-free world championships back in 2007. Oh wow! Uh, but so my friends, you know, since I was a powerlifter and a fairly good-sized guy, they said, "Why don't you be a pro wrestler?" Like in the Dallas Fort Worth area, it's the home of the the Von Erich family, which wrestling was really popular here in Dallas. So okay. I thought, yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. So I went to wrestling school, did that for a couple of years, got married, and needed a more stable income and really all the travel and stuff wasn't conducive to marriage or having a family. So right. I got out of wrestling. Well, I did do it for a couple of years. I've got some videos on YouTube. I wrestled some very no well. Yeah. I, I did not expect this show to go in this direction. <laughs> Power lifter, wrestler. Like what is happening right now? This is amazing. <laughs> this is amazing. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. This is actually kind of where uh, Ushi from uh, Twitter, she actually had, kind of dubbed me at one point, the uh, Chuck Norris of InfoSec. I, I was about to say, like, <laughs> soon there's going to be some martial arts talk and, you know, that's amazeballs. I love this. <laughs> I absolutely love this. So uh, actually during a time when I wrestled, yeah, when I wrestled, I'd wrestled the Road Warriors. I wrestled Mick Foley. He's pretty well known. Uh, oh, like so a, this was like, you were like a thing. This is yeah. like, this was like not some hobby. This was like a no. major thing in your life. Yeah, the sports entertainment type wrestling on tv i've got some videos of that i wrestled the oh Wars. my god so uh even so basically time, basically like i if i'm looking for a bodyguard and i i need to just call you up like you're just you're what like <laughs> eight feet tall like how tall are you I, i'm i'm 510 and and okay. i'm like like 210 but back back in my prime back when i was wrestling i was about 260 okay and, and a lot leaner yeah uh, and yeah. actually when i before I started wrestling, I wanted to be a bodyguard. So I was actually trying, I just never could find a really an end to being a bodyguard. I met uh, Tom Landry's valet when I was working security at a charity ball back in probably about 84, 85 is this Christmas charity ball that they're raising money. And Tom Landry's valet was there. We were talking and he gave me uh, a number of some agency, but they didn't handle bodyguards. So that, that didn't pan out. So uh, so during the wrestling thing, one of the interesting stories too, is I wrestled a bear. So whenever I was wrestling, I didn't make enough money wrestling because I was wrestling one night a week. And so the nightclub I was a bouncer at, they brought a bear in the 750 pound brown bear and I wrestled the bear. <laughs> well, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. You wrestled a live bear, like a grizzly bear. Wasn't well, a grizzly bear, not as big as grizzly, but it's a, it was a brown bear. It's like a 750 pound bear. Oh my God, <laughs> Philip, this is insane. Okay. You need to write a book. Forget about me. Nobody wants to hear about me. Oh, everyone wants to hear about this bear wrestling. Oh my God. So, uh, holy cow. And you lived to tell about it. Yes. <laughs> did, you, I mean, you had to have gone to the hospital after that, right? Like, did that thing no, put you in the hospital? Fortunately not, but I did injure my foot. Uh, when I was wrestling the bear, I wrestling twice and I've got a picture. I have to share the picture with you sometime. Uh, but there's a picture of me wrestling the bear and how I know as me is whenever I was wrestling the bear, uh, whoever did the best against the bear won a bar tab. And after that first time, it was like impossible. I said, I'm not going to do that again. And so after the bar tab, the manager of the bar come back around and said, Hey, you want to wrestle a bear again? By this time, 
you know, I had a lot of liquid confidence. So I decided I'd wrestle the bear again. So I ended up hyperextending my foot. So I ended up having to go to the doctor the next day and get it checked out. I didn't, didn't fracture anything, just kind of hyper, hyperextended my foot. So the next it, morning. So it's not because the 750 pound bear was sitting on your foot. It was nah. because you did something else. I stepped wrong and, and hurt my foot. Okay. I, I think what we're on episode number 25 or something with night TV. This is the most interesting episode I've ever, <laughs> ever had for sure. Um, okay. So you wrestled a bear, live to tell about it. Um, how do you go from bear wrestling to pen testing? What happened there? Okay. So uh, like I said, I had to uh, find more, a more stable career because I was married. So I went, I worked retail sales. I worked manual labor and none of the stuff I really liked. And one of my last jobs before I decided to, that I need to get some sort of education, I was working for this jewelry store chain. They decided they wanted to start another one that they wanted to make it a bigger chain. And they wanted me to be like an assistant manager of the store. The store manager had someone else in mind. I just kind of learned, you know, I've got to get out, learn, get a skill that I can make money regardless of Markable. politics. And so the magic I, of a woman. Leave it yeah. to the woman to uh, <laughs> clean up a man. All right. So, but at any rate, I ended up going to, I, I, I finally one day saw on TV, I needed, needed to do something. I tried to get into the military, but part of the reason I couldn't get in there is when I was 15, my brother shot me and I still actually had the bullet in me. And so the, one of the, one of the reasons, one of the branches of the military wouldn't take me because I have a bullet in me. The other one, because I was a lifter and kind of heavy, I was too heavy by their standards. Oh my God. So you've also <laughs> been shot. Yes. So bear wrestling, wrestling and, and sh uh, shooting victim. Oh my God. Okay. So I'm assuming this was an accident <laughs> that your brother shot? Yes. Yeah. He's okay. playing with the gun, accidentally shot me. The, the bullet went in through my arm, angled through, just barely under the skin, went in my side, collapsed my lung, pumped out of the lung through my heart. So when they got me to the hospital in Denton, Texas, the bullet had was in my heart from where it pumped out of my lung. So they sent me from Denton, Texas to Dallas, Texas, which is about 30 miles or so. So they got me there to Dallas, cracked me open to take the bullet out and didn't see any place it went in. They took x-rays again. The bullet was then was not no longer in my heart. It pumped out of my heart and lodged in the bend of my leg. And it's still in the bend of my leg. Oh my God. I think we can end this episode right here. That was the crowning moment of this episode. Oh my God. Okay. So I do have to ask what, yeah. what, what's the, what's the bullet is it 45 or a nine it, millimeter. It was a 22 long rifle shell. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. I don't know if I can handle the rest of this interview. Go, the rest of, rest of it gets uh, less violent and okay. Wow. <laughs> so all, all, all the scary stuff happened. Well, it's interesting with your, with your, you know, your life and what you did. I'm surprised, you know, I mean, everyone who knows me knows I did the whole defense contracting, high risk zone, close protection thing, Blackwater days. I'm surprised you never like went off and got into, you know, high risk zone, close protection and started working for a defense contractor, like triple canopy or you know, Blackwater or anything like that. Did you, you never had any interest in going off to do that? That's really probably didn't have the knowledge of it. If I would have had, mm. you know, friends that knew that sort of thing to recommend it, that was just Get something it. I had no idea about. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think, I don't know when you got married, but um, I, that may have been after your wife kind of came in and said, no more, 
Yeah. No more. You're gonna get a desk job and a suit and tie, <laughs> and that's it. Uh, yeah. It. I, I, actually, honestly, it was it was my decision because I just knew it'd be okay. better marriage wise. Because I, hmm. you know, that's that was my okay. ex wife, and I think part of the attraction to me at the time was I was a pro wrestler, so that was kind of oh, uh, okay, kind of a cool thing. But uh, yeah. So yeah, I ended up going to CAD school. Okay. And once I got in CAD school, like I said, I had no exposure to computers. So when I got into CAD school, I was like probably one of the people that had the least amount of experience. And so then once I got working out in the industry as a CAD draftsman, a lot of these offices I worked in, they didn't have dedicated IT. So I figured out how to fix computers. When something went wrong, I would fix figure out how to fix it. And I found out that I had more of a knack for things. So I decided I wanted to be a system administrator because we had a a sysadmin that came into one of the offices where I worked and they were billing $50 an hour. This was in 95. Yeah. And, and we, we billed $30 an hour for our drafting services. So I knew that this guy was making, you know, you know, typically, you know, we were getting about half of what the company was billing. So I figured these people doing the sysadmin work are making 10 bucks an hour more than I am. And it looks a lot more interesting. So I taught myself how to build computers, wow. took a no, a Novell network, class which like was a 90 day course for the the CNE certification <laughs> net buoy <laughs> netware oh my god yeah, well and it's funny because I you know I mean I know that you had actually started out as a sysadmin and it's really interesting because I always tell people that the best hackers are former sysadmin and former network engineers because they they understand the system they understand uh networking they understand tcp ip and three-way handshakes and tcp and udp and all of those things so i think that made you a more effective pen tester I mean, that's, yeah that definitely that definitely laid the foundation because you know it's like i tell my students and people i mentor if you get a command line access to a system you're going to have to know the command line and then from the sysadmin background you know, if you got right permissions, you can shut down firewalls, you can start and stop services, you can do all sorts of things. Or if you don't know that, you're going to do a lot of Googling. So so uh, the sysadmin thing, I was able to, it was right around the time the dot-com thing was really taken off. A lot of people were hiring sysadmin. So I was lucky I was able to skip the whole uh, help desk and desktop support thing and jump right into doing sysadmin work. So I did that from... 97 to the end of 2003 and then 2004, I went, got uh, moved over to the security team and I was doing network security, did that for about a year and a half. Uh, the company hired a CISO and then the CISO kind of divided us up. Before that, everyone was doing network security. Everyone was doing vulnerability scans, doing the same thing. And so he separated us into different silos and I got put in application security. I got to do web application vulnerability scanning, learned about penetration testing. I was managing third-party pen tests. And oh, so wow. when I when I got laid off from, from the job, I've been there like 14 years. Back in uh, 2012, I went to work consulting as a penetration tester and spent the first five years of my career consulting. And then I went to work for a bank as an internal pen tester. And I've been like a red team lead. And then probably about September or so I focused more on the, the education side of things and I'm getting ready to go back into full-time pen testing offensive security. I like teaching, but that's more of a thing that I want to do part-time and yeah. focus more on, you know, the offensive security, learning this stuff so I can be a better teacher. It's interesting to me. And, and that's one of the things about penetration testing that I always loved the most is that it's, it's not a very stagnant job. 
you know, because if you think about pen testing, it's it's always changing, right? Whether you rely heavily on Metasploit modules and you're waiting for that next module to come out, or you write the Ruby module yourself, or you know, zero day exploits and and finding a, a new attack vector or way to pivot around within the network once you have a beachhead. Uh, that, that's I just love that about cybersecurity. It never stays the same, and there's always something fresh and new, whether it's a zero day exploit or something else. So, what what's for you? What what has always kind of been that that passion for you? Like, what about what about penetration testing in particular versus forensics and incident response, or just general security administration where installing firewalls? Like, what is it about penetration testing that sort of has floated your boat? Yeah, it's just kind of the hacking part of it. I was really interested in that because before I even got into security or penetration testing, uh, I used to get some of the, you know, I had like the Hacking Exposed books. I had Ed Scudis' book, The Hacking Counterhack. And it used to come with the, it could come with the little ISOs with the different vulnerable environment stuff playing around that. I was really interested in that. So that's what got me into it, interested in. That's probably one of the things that really kept me out of management. I've really enjoyed the technical side of things and in pen testing. So that's really been hard to give up, which a lot of people that are my age, that's been in the industry as long as I have, have moved into, you know, management several years ago, but I've got to have fun with what I'm doing. I like being passionate about what I do and that keeps me going. It keeps me wanting to work. You know, a lot of people are wanting to retire. You know, my age are starting to think about when am I going to retire? And for me, it's like, as long as I'm still enjoying this and having fun, I'm not even going to think about it. Yeah, I, you know, a lot of, that's the thing. And and it's, it's for me, the difference between a job career and a lifestyle. I'm always telling people that cybersecurity isn't a job. It's not a career either. It's a lifestyle. I mean, it's you, you have to love this or you've got a very short shelf life because it's, you know, there, it's not nine to five, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, I mean, it's, I don't know when the last time was I had an actual weekend you know, where, where I wasn't having to work or do something, um, or rans deal with a ransomware breach, or, you know, it's just, it's, it's constant. It's constant. You're always on call. It doesn't matter what team, whether you're on the red team or blue team, it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not nine to five. I agree. And if you're not putting in that extra time to learn, you're going to get oh, yeah. behind real quick because the young new people are coming in. They're, all excited Hungry. and motivated and they're going after it. And if you don't, and you know, you know, as well as I do is the way this way technology evolves, you've got to stay on top of your game and, yep. and there's so much stuff to keep up with. And there's certain areas that require that more than others. And pen testing is one of those areas that you have to, you know, keep, keep up with it. So. Yeah. You know, and there's also these, these other areas that are a lot more niche, uh, a lot more niche and also a lot more arcane. And the other areas of general pen testing, like pen testing APIs, right? A lot of hackers, especially web app pen testers, I know as soon as they see JSON, they freak out and they move on. It's just because you're a web app pen tester doesn't know you, doesn't mean you know how to pen test APIs. Um, and you know, pen testers that can hack a Linux or a Windows box running IIS or Apache doesn't mean that they can hack embedded systems or an electronic control unit. You know, so there's all these areas of penetration testing you can niche yourself. And it's it really just depends on what is it you want to do and making sure that whatever it is, you are you bring it. You got to bring it every single day, like you said, because there's these new Gen Zers, these 
you know, millennials now. And, you know, uh, it's, they're, they're all coming in and they want that work. They want to learn, you know, and one thing I'm sure you can, I'm sure you've run into this too, where, you know, being an influencer yourself, you have people that will reach out to you and say, Philip, teach me how to hack. How, how do I hack my ex's Instagram account? <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> I get those all the time, but yeah. you know, it's, um, you know, wanting that shortcut. So what, what is the, what is the advice that you can give um, this new generation of pen testers coming in? Um, for me, it would be go and read, go and figure it out because you'll learn a hell of a lot more than if I teach you. Um, but what, what would your advice be? The biggest advice I would say is be patient with it because everyone wants to get it. And I find myself doing that too, you know, because a lot of times us guys, we don't like to read instructions. We like to take whatever I try to put it together, or start using them before we read them. But yeah, you definitely need to read the manuals. That's a good thing. And one of some of the best pen testers I know will read the manuals if they find some new technology, but be patient and learn the basics because you take the time to learn the basics. Because as you mentioned, the sysadmin and network administrator experience being helpful if you have a good background going in, you're going to be more successful. Some people want to get it to, you know, one instant gratification, want to be hacking right away. And they just have to take, take time to do that. Yeah. It, it brings me back 20 years ago now, 21 years ago when I was on IRC and this script kitty had, had popped a box, a Linux Apache machine, and somehow probably with the buffer overflow, the Apache service crashed. And this, this script kitty just knew how to deface the website, but didn't know how to actually start Apache after it had crashed or restart Apache. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what you run into, right? Is if you don't understand those basics, like how to actually use Apache CTL or, you know, just the basic things, like even a, a TCP three-way handshake or the OSI model, um, all of those things are so critical. I think is foundational elements to any cybersecurity engineer is understanding routing, the differences between UDP and TCP. Uh, you know, all of those things are are so fundamentally important. I agree. And some of the best advice I got when I was very first starting out, the consulting company I worked for first, our manager always told us he really wasn't encouraging people to take different pen testing courses or hacking courses. He always told us to build something. And that's good. I agree with that advice because before I became a pen tester, all through my IT career, a lot of my friends that I worked with at the mortgage company, they'd go home, play video games after work. I went home and I was doing web design on the side. Yeah. You know, not web development, web design, just your HTML yeah. pages and stuff like that. And I hosted my clients' uh, websites on my server. So oh. I had Apache web server installed. Yeah. And I set up SendMail for mail transfer, was oh, running my, my own God. DNS. You and I come from the same world. Wow. <laughs> and, I and I learned a lot for that. Once I got into pen testing, I was familiar with Apache and some of those yeah. other technologies. But some of the stuff I got from my sysadmin days, but you know, we weren't really using Apache web server in our corporate environment. But just from the building thing that my uh, manager at the time recommended, something I was already doing is you know good advice to give to people. Just you know, you learn how to build something, you'll learn a lot more. Install a server, you know, you install Active Directory in a home lab, you'll get an idea of how it's set up. Because even if you're a sysadmin, you don't always get to build, you know, an Active Directory domain or forest, because sometimes you may go in some place it's already set up. So getting to build that stuff on your own, you're able to learn 
some of the you know details about it that can help you as a pen tester or a security uh, engineer. Yeah, agreed. So a lot of people who know me know that I like to discuss divisive and polarized topics. And so I want to throw a curveball at you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this show was not scripted for anyone who follows me knows. Um, so the, the religious debate over whether or not you need to be a programmer in order to be the best hacker or even be a hacker at all is, is a very prevalent topic that's it's a very contemporary issue uh, it's talked about a lot you see it on twitter you see it on linkedin you obviously have points on both sides of the debate a lot of those who are debating for of course are probably programmers um a lot of those you know against are of course not probably maybe even there's some programmers who disagree as well which would be great but where do you, where do you fall on that whole debate regarding whether or not you need to be a programmer to be a penetration tester or be able to write your own exploits to be an effective penetration tester. Do you agree or do you disagree and why? I disagree. One of the things I do tell people, especially when they're starting out, I tell them there's really no need to know how to program. If you can modify a script or if you've got, you know, sometimes you download something off exploit DB that's written in C and you have to compile it. Maybe the uh, indentions may be off and you have to, adjust all that before to compile correctly. But I tell people that's really mainly what you need to start out with. I know there's some really good hackers out there that know how to write their own code and, and stuff, but you really don't have to because I know a lot of people that don't know how. So I tell people, you know, my stance has been down the road as you get experience with this, you might do that because there's some really good hackers that can can uh, write their own code. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I think there's, look, I, th I think there's brilliant people on both sides of the debate. I think, uh, I don't know. For me, of course, my opinion, not being a career programmer is it doesn't matter if you can code or not. And especially today, it's, you know, the ability to get your hands on source code to be able to comb it for buffer overflows. Um, everything's moved to the cloud. You know, everything is, uh, and a lot of times, Exploit DB, Metasploit, there's all of these tools available to you where you don't necessarily need to be able to write your own exploit, you know, or you know, create your own Metasploit module. Someone will probably come along and create it for you. And a lot of times, I I honestly, and I know a lot of developers, a lot of people who write their own exploits, a lot of people that that are on that side of the the line, but cannot sit there and tell me when the last time was they were in the middle of a penetration test and had to write a, a, a zero-day exploit because one didn't exist. Usually, most companies have vulnerabilities going back 12, 18 months, and you don't need to write a zero-day exploit. You don't need to find a zero-day. There's, there's usually something like Eternal Blue still rolling around in that network that you can use from exploit DB or Metasploit. You know, so I mean, I, I I agree with you. I don't think you have to be a developer to be an elite pro, you know, an elite hacker. Um, I I also believe that adversaries want us to be uh, non-inclusive. They want us to turn against each other and disenfranchise non-programmers and you know whatever, whether it's based on your sex, religion, identity, whatever. How do you defeat an enemy that's bigger than you? You turn them against themselves. And I think adversaries want us to do that. Um, so I agree. I agree with you. What? So knowing what you know now, 
and and you've had a very you've had a long career you've you know i've seen your resume it's very impressive you've worked at some amazing organizations and done some amazing things uh you've been both on the you know builder and breaker side what what's next for you you know what are you you know you've co-authored a book you've you're you're into coaching education you've done a lot of things what's what's next in your journey I, t- I tend to keep on to keep up with the uh, pen testing, but one of the things I've kind of come to the conclusion is I really need to find an area to to specialize in, mm. because just trying to do all of it is hard to get to be really good. You know, it's hard to be good at everything. So the application or web application stuff's more interesting. So uh, I'm planning on turning my studies more to that and try to get better at that area. You should you should start uh, learning API hacking. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would like that. Everything's moving to APIs. I'm, I'm, I just had an interview this morning. I was talking about how it's our financial system plumbing, the plumbing to our healthcare system. It's you know everything. We're in an app based world today. Everything is communicating with APIs, IoT. You know, I think as more and more adversaries turn their attention to APIs because that's where the data is. I think more and more breakers. More and more penetration testers need to turn their focus to APIs as well. Yeah, I think that's a good idea because seeing the amount of pen testers that really understand that is not not that many. You know, it just seems like a couple areas that are, and there's more than that, but two areas I know right offhand that there's not a lot of skilled people in those areas. Uh, from what I've seen, my experience is cloud and API, because a lot of people. I mean, I don't understand API that well. I've done some API pen testing, but I definitely need to learn that area. But uh, definitely those are two areas. I think that, that there's kind of a shortage of talent in. So yeah, you What's, got any good resources for, for, uh, I, yeah, I do. <laughs> check out my YouTube channel, my upcoming book. Um, <laughs> no, um, yeah, would love to, would love to, uh, partner with you in, in that journey. If, uh, that's, if, if that's the next step for you, I also, Dr. Katie Paxton fear, uh, is another amazing API hacker who I'm doing a lot of work with and working on some projects with. So she's got some great content as well. Yeah, um, she's got some cool stuff. Yeah, I absolutely adore her. Um, you and I have both been through the certification bill. I've, you know, I went through the CISSP, got my GCIA. I let them all expire. I didn't care about constantly submitting my points and my whatever credits. Um, in order to maintain it, I've interviewed many people who had uh, the whole alphabet soup of Cisco certifications, but couldn't tell me the headers of a packet. What is your opinion about certification? And in your views, what do you think was the most relevant certification to real day practical use? Yeah, what I'd have to say is my view on on certifications is, is sometimes I think too many certifications are almost as bad as no certification because then you see that and you and you you really get to, especially when it's non-practical exams where it's question and answer type scenarios then you start to wonder, is this person a really good test taker? Because usually they got that many certifications they do. And I know some really good uh, pen testers out there that never even took a certification-based course that are some of the best I know. People tend to depend on it too much. I think for people starting out, it's really important. If you work for a consulting company, it looks good for them because they can show you their company resume. We've got so many OSCP, so many OSCPs, OSCPs, G-pens or whatever. 
this is, we got all this and that looks good too. But then when you look at the boutique pen testing firms, they really don't care about that stuff because they got some real ninjas that can, you know, do this, that are, they're really good at what they do and they don't need the certifications. Yeah. When you're doing a penetration test, then what is your platform of choice? Is Are you a new Ubuntu guy? Are you a Red Hat guy? What do, what do you, what's your platform of choice? Or you, do you hack on Windows? Actually, uh, as far as like, typically the way my preferred OS is Mac OS. Really? Yeah. Oh, you're... <laughs> You're you're my new, you're my new best friend. This is this is happening. This is amazing. Yeah, I, I, th- I I love yeah. That's all I use are Macs. I mean, I yeah. do have a Linux laptop that's running Ubuntu. Where, you know, if I have tools like Rustler or something that will only run on Windows or Linux, of course I'm going to use Linux. Um, but you know, the great thing about Mac OS today is that you can run Linux applications on it, which is great. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's because it, Mac was the, the first. Uh, attack laptop I had because my first oh. job I worked at, we had Mac. And then when I left that company to go to the next company, they didn't have Mac there. So I didn't want to lose my skills. So I bought my first own MacBook Pro. And then 2018, I got another one, the i9 processor, 32 gigs of RAM. Oh. And I recently went all in on Mac, uh, the M1. So I got a MacBook I was MacBook about Pro. to say, you got the M1, didn't you? Yeah. That's amazing. I, I got a yeah. Mac mini. I got a Mac mini running the M1 too. Nice. You yeah. know, it's funny. I, I'm okay. So I will admit I'm in, I'm in a 12 step program for people that are obsessed with Apple. And I have like, it doesn't matter what Apple comes out with. It doesn't matter. Like the air tags, whatever. I, I, I buy it. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter if it's Apple, I'm, I'm buying it. And I have like, I'm like, I'm now at a point where I have the iMac, I have the M1, you know, Mac mini, MacBooks, the iPads, the Mac Pro, you know, the cheese grater, all that stuff. <laughs> um, and I'm starting to wonder like, okay, it's been like a few months since I used my iMac. Like maybe I should sell it and just stick with the Mac. <laughs> like, but you don't want to, you're just yeah. so obsessed with it because it's like, it is like, that is why they call us a cult. We are a cult of, of, of users. Like, standing out in the rain for that next iPhone or the, or that Mac mini, you know, I got to tell you though, I'm super impressed with the, with the Mac mini and the M one chip. Uh, I saw a YouTube video the other day, not that I would ever try this, but this guy was rendering a six K raw video foot on his Mac mini. I couldn't believe it. Like here <laughs> I'm sitting here, you know, uh, with a $15,000 Mac Pro and I could I could render the 6K footage that I'm doing on the Mac Pro on my Mac Mini, which I paid like 699 bucks for or whatever the hell it was. It's insane. That that yeah. M1 chip is insane. Yeah, I really look really looking forward to see what they do with the ARM stuff, but at least we have to give us Apple Pro uh, Apple fans kind of a little bit of credit because that are technical because some people it's just about the brand like Yeah. You know, yeah, Louis just to have luggage that. or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, but, it, you're right though, because this actually got brought up with um with Tim Cook in an interview. I don't know if you saw this, but he straight up admitted where he, in the interview where he was like, "Look, we do not apologize about how expensive our stuff. We do not apologize for the fact that we cater to a certain shopper. We cater we cater to a certain buyer." The, the buyers that are, you know, walking around with the Louis Vuitton. It's, it is, it is a brand thing, but yeah. you're right. You're right. For there is a, there is a class of people who are diehard, 
you know, Apple fans who it's not about the brand, it's about the technology. I agree. I mean, I, I don't remember the last time I rebooted my MacBook. You know, I think it was months ago. And that would never happen with my Windows with a Windows laptop. Yeah. And, and it's like it's it looks good, too. It's nice design. I mean, it. but, you know, when you think about one of the things I love about it is it's, you know, BSD based operating yeah, system. I love that. I love being able to pull up a terminal shell. And, and, you know, being used to, you know, using Linux for a lot of years, you know, I love it because I got started Linux, Red Hat Linux back in 97. So just having, you know, a Unix op like operating system, I like it. I mean, I just. I use Windows when I have to, but I just really don't. I've never been a Windows fan. And coming from the Novell Netware world, oh yeah. You know, when I start on servers, it's like you hate when you hate Microsoft, and you saw the way they they were like giving companies uh, Exchange and Outlook to try to get people off other mail systems, give stuff away to get people in, and just that whole dominate buy everything. All there is is Microsoft. You kind of tend to not be a fan, but I mean, just the stability of the Mac. It's like you know you rarely have any kind of crashes on your Mac and my, my new Macs, I haven't had any kind of crashes on those. And so, yeah, it's the technology too, not just about, you know, a nice looking piece of hardware. It just works. Yeah. It, it just works. Yeah. Well, I could seriously talk all day with you and yeah. I want to let you go so you can start your weekend and happy father's day weekend, by the way, I don't know if you're you. a dad. Yes, I but uh, I guess I should have asked that before saying happy Father's Day. But um, <laughs> anyway, good. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So uh, what are your plans this weekend for, for Father's Day? Well, one of my favorite things, Hello, one of my daughter and I, my yeah, one of our favorite things to do is to go to the movie. So not sure what movie we're seeing yet, but we'll, we'll have lunch and go to the movies. So. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Well, um, I, I'm going to let you enjoy your weekend now. I, for our audience who is not connected with you yet, where can they find you? Uh, you're an awesome influencer and put always putting out great content. How, how can they find you? Uh, Twitter and LinkedIn are the best places. And if anyone has any questions, I do a lot of mentoring and answering questions so they can feel free to connect with me and DM me on Linux, I mean on, uh, <laughs> on LinkedIn or our Twitter. Awesome. All right, Philip. Well, you know, you got to promise me soon, if not 2021, 2022, that you're going to start doing video because I want to see you. I want to see you set up a YouTube channel and start YouTubing. Yeah, definitely. I, th those are the plans. So that'd be amazing. All right. Well, call me when you when you need an AV nerd to discuss that. Figure oh, out definitely. Your... Awesome. Definitely. All right. Well, thanks again, Phil. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It was an honor. All right. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Nightlife on ITSP Magazine with Alyssa Knight. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.